sown, Jesus, and that we would see that fruit multiply and multiply. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can you guys make some noise for Adrian one time? This room is actually quite pretty big, but I realize I'm just like an exceedingly loud person, and I don't need a microphone right now, as you heard me. Um, yeah, actually, on that same topic real quick, um, it was crazy. We, uh, there was a church in Tampa, Florida that we do not know. I have never met the pastors there. I have never spoken Tampa, Florida. We don't know these people, and uh, they gave online to us at like a noon on one day, and then they, uh, he he messaged me via Facebook Messenger, and, and I think he kind of gathered a little bit of my personality um, from Facebook or, take, or uh, the Instagram page or whatever it is, but he goes, yo, man, be expecting a G from me. Love you. And he's a lead pastor of Champion City, Florida. Um, can you just make some noise for them, Pastor Bruce Hall? We're, uh, Finally, audio taping, uh, we're podcasting this service, and we'll be podcasting all of them. We just couldn't figure it out last week, uh, which was a huge bummer, but we are tonight. And so when he listens to this, just want to let him know we love him and we appreciate him. And that was one of the things, too, that came out of the blue. Again, we did not know them. They heard about our heart and our vision for Grand Rapids, and man, they gave, and they gave abundantly, and uh, it was a huge blessing, and it really helped out a lot. And so couldn't, couldn't thank them enough. They're awesome. But tonight... We are going to continue with a uh, collection of talks. Uh, collection of talks. My throat is dry. Anybody got, uh, anybody had any coffee yet tonight? Yeah. You had that coffee out there? Mm. I don't know if I said this joke last week, but more coffee, you know. Lord, don't start talking until you start drinking, you know what I'm saying? Is it still working? That joke is getting so old. Okay, sorry. I swear I am a funny person at times, mostly on accident. Um... But yeah, oh, speaking about patience, geez, Adrienne has gotten, she has learned about generosity by being patient with me. So when she's talking about all, you know, generosity being something she had to learn, she learned to be generous with her patience and with her mercy. Being married to me, I'm hard. I know. I love you, baby. Thank you for loving me. I'm sorry. Anyways, tonight... We're going to continue a series of collection of talks that we have appropriately titled The Takeover Life. And uh, would you just turn to your neighbor? This is the title of my message. I always try to have just smashing titles of messages so that we know and remember what was talked about in church. But would you turn to your neighbor and just tell them what kind of church do you see? Ask them, what kind of church do you see? Okay, turn to your second choice neighbor and be like, what kind of church do you see? Because you was the second choice. It's okay. Being the second choice, is, it's always okay. It's all right. Well, yeah. So tonight, the church I see, and I'm really excited about this. Do you have your uh, Bibles? Anybody got a Bible in the house? Actual physical Bible? Anybody? I saw a couple of people walk in with some physical Bibles. <laughs> there we are. Physical Bibles, awesome. Jason in the back, physical Bible. Anybody uh, reading the Bible uh, potentially off uh, an Android? Yes. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God, Apple. Praise God. Androids, tablets, all of that. The Lord's not in that. That doesn't matter. He's not about it. He does not. I can tell you that. He made humans, not androids. Oh. <laughs> this message was brought to you by Apple Macintosh Inc. I'm kidding. We are not sponsored by Apple here at Takeover Church. Apples have caused the church enough problems. Would you agree? Bible jokes. Chances are it wasn't an apple anyways. It was probably fig. 
Needless to say, I had to get that out. I was thinking about that earlier this week, and I was like, how can I work in an Apple joke? Um, but yeah, so if you got your Bible, if you have an iPhone, if you have an Android, I have an Android too, full disclosure. My phone is an Android, my iPad is an iPad, obviously, and my computer is an HP, so I'm all sorts of in disobedience to the Lord. So don't worry about it. I'll pray for me. We're, we're getting there. But if you got it, open up to Matthew 16, 13 through 20, and I'm going to be coming out of the NLT tonight, uh, simply because I really like the NLT. Um, I also think the message translation is great. I think NIV is great. Uh, I think the New King James Version is great. But yeah, so Matthew 16, 13 through 20, the NLT. It's also going to be up on the Big Bible. We're going to go through it. Uh, there's a few different graphics for it. Um, but we're going to break this thing down. You guys ready? Yes. Can, we, can we read the Bible in 2018 on a Sunday night? Is that all right? Fantastic. When Jesus came to the region of Sarasai Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you say, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, <laughs> well, he, it never begins good when someone goes, well, oh man. Well, they said, they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. God. In verse 17, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all of hell, someone say all of hell, all of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Tonight's message called The Church That I See. Do you mind if we start off in prayer tonight? Is that all right? Before we get going. Jesus, we love you. God, I feel like we can never pray enough. I feel like we can never have your presence involved enough in our lives and especially in church. God, in the collection of talks, Jesus, I ask that tonight you will continue what you've already started in this service through, through what you're going to say through me here now in this moment. Jesus, I ask that you would change lives. God, that you would shift hearts and shift mindsets tonight, Jesus. I ask that we would leave looking, thinking, acting like God, being more like you, Jesus. God, we just thank you for everything you're doing tonight. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The church that I see. This is a hard thing to preach on, the church that I see. Because I think when we all come from very different places, I don't claim to know where everybody in here comes from, what your background, your history, anything that you're experienced with God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, church in general, I don't know any of that for most of you. And quite frankly, I got to tell you, doesn't really matter up until this moment. And not because Takeover Church is the end-all be-all, not because I know more than anybody else, none of that. Because I think for every single one of us tonight, every time we get to come to church, every time we're in the presence of God, every time we gather together, we have the opportunity for a new beginning and a new experience with people who love Jesus, with the church that loves Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with all of it, we have a new opportunity to meet God, right? Again, it's not because this is better than anything before. It's because every time we have a chance for new. And so for me, the church that I see, can someone just ask me tonight, the church that I say, would you say, what kind of church do you see? Would you say that back to me? I see a church that is willing to go outside these doors that isn't willing to settle for a Sunday congregational, whether it's 10 in the morning or 5 p.m. in the afternoon. I see a church that isn't willing to settle for a pit stop presence of Jesus moment. Yeah. 
I see a church. Friends, hear me tonight. I see a church. I see Takeover Church. I see the church, the global church. I see the church as a body of believers that when tragedy strikes, if you didn't think we were going to talk about this, then man, we got no idea what church is. That when tragedy strikes, I see a church that doesn't run to social media to post on whether we should have our Second Amendment or not. I see a church that instead of running to social media, we run to our knees. And we cover this country, and we cover these families, and we cover these people, and we cover Parkland, Florida, and all of them. We cover them with the love and prayer of Jesus Christ. Amen. I see a church that, again, we go outside our four walls because when we go outside our four walls, it validates what takes place inside these four walls. We are not a church that is silent. We are not a church that just checks in on Sunday. We are a church that will go to the streets and we will tell people about Jesus. There is no dark area. There is no place that we deem unacceptable for Christians to be at. We are called to be the light of the world. We talked about it last week and we will go because things like this keep happening and Jesus keeps wanting to be the comfort in the middle of it. And in fact, Jesus has a better way for people to live. And he has a way of delivering that message. It's through the church that I see. It's through Takeover Church. It's through the global church. It's through the local church. It is through every single one of us. I'm not going to make a political statement tonight about the Second Amendment and guns and all of that. Because quite frankly, in this moment, I don't care. I want to rally some Christians. We're going to get on to the rest of the message in a moment. I want to rally some Christians. I want to rally some real Jesus followers that are willing to go to people who don't look like them, don't sound like them, don't talk like them, don't dress like them, who ain't ever been in a church before, or maybe they've had such a bad experience with churches. We're going to go to those people, and we're going to show them the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Because I believe, friends, hear me, and I pray you believe this too. We can change rules for sure. We can make it harder to get certain things for sure. All of these things are possible. All of these things probably should happen. It's whatever. Our opinions of it don't really matter because God says there is one thing that brings absolute change to a person's life and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only hope for us. He is the only hope for Parkland, Florida. He's the only hope for strangers outside these doors, the people that we know. He is the only hope that we have in this world for actual, lasting change. His name is Jesus, and he's the only power that can do anything about any of this that's going on. Amen. That's the church that I see. We're going to get into it. The church that I see tonight is responsible for their city. These streets, Monroe Center, wherever, 28th Street, way out on college and everything in between. Heck, we can go out to Ada if you want to. Ada's not really Grand Rapids. If you live in Ada, I'm sorry, it's not really Grand Rapids. Those of us that live in Grand Rapids take great pride of that. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Ada's part of it, but man, our city, our responsibility, our people, our responsibility, how we see those people is our spirit and our spirit is our responsibility. That's the church that I see. I see a church that is willing to go the length, to go the distance, to go into the deepest, darkest places that this city has just to reach one more. You can look around this room and you can say week two 
Or you can look at the book of Zechariah that says, do not despise small beginnings because the Lord rejoices in seeing the work begin. So tonight, we might be few, but Lord knows we're going to be many. And it starts with me and it starts with you because I can't expect anybody in this place to do something that I'm not willing to do. And I got to tell you, man, Asia and I have given our lives for this. Like she said, not just our money, but our lives. And we're going to ask you that you, you do the same because there is a city who Jesus wants to be Lord of all. And right now he's not Lord of all because he doesn't have every heart of every person in this city. But he has better for them here now on this earth. Not so far off one day glory in heaven, but he has heaven on earth as we sang tonight for these people of Grand Rapids. So I'm telling you, it's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. This city, the souls within it that occupy, that walk these streets, our city, our responsibility. Amen. Amen. So tonight I want to move on to the rest of the message. I just had to talk about that because seriously, we're going to be a church that talks about it. We're going to be a church that brings Jesus into the conversation because Jesus, he wants to take that over too. He wants to have a voice in what's going on, not just in these four walls, but he wants to have a voice that in the situations and tragedies that affects the lives outside these doors. Do you believe that tonight? So I love this passage of scripture because man, Peter's a hooligan. Y'all know that Peter's a hooligan? Peter's a hooligan. I love the word hooligan. Uh, he, he gets into shenanigans. He does some dumb stuff. Anybody done some dumb stuff? My hand's up. You can say you've done some dumb stuff. All right? I was young, and I, I, you know what? Even to this day, I probably do some dumb things. <laughs> Thanks, wife. She's so awesome. Oh, man. But here it is. I love this passage of Scripture because here's Jesus. We can talk all night about the church that I see. We can talk all night about the church that TakeOver wants to be. And, and we'll get to that because we have more weeks in this series. But the church that I see, I want to start with the church that Jesus sees. Is that okay? It's a great place to start, right? Where Jesus, Lord of all, sees church. And I love it because here he has these disciples and... I don't know what your familiarity with the scriptures are, with the disciples are, but man, these were four, I would say, less than average dudes. <laughs> like, think about it. I, I, feel, I feel like I struggle sometimes with like, man, I'm just kind of mediocre in this. I'm just kind of, you know, like, I suck at this. Like, <laughs> you know, these things like that. But Jesus took 12 unqualified, average, just don't belong anywhere near a pulpit. If, you know, if you looked at them, you'd be like, now, nah, what are you doing? Why are you trying to tell me about Jesus? You looked at these boys, and you would see 12, I'm going to talk about Peter specifically, one, completely unqualified, and average, and mediocre ex-fisherman telling people about Jesus. And here Jesus says that I'm going to build my church on you, Peter, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. But here are these disciples who Jesus walked by. And trust me, there's parts of scriptures too. It's in uh, Luke 11 where Jesus actually went to like three other dudes before he got, well, it was after the disciples actually. So he had the 12 disciples and he was still collecting people. People go, why didn't he add more to his flock? He did, read the scriptures. But needless to say, he was still asking people. He sees these three guys and he gets shot down every time. There's these three boys who were like, nah, my dad just died. I gotta go bury Actually, let me go ask my mom if it's cool. And another guy who just is like, I don't want anything to do with this. But Jesus offered these guys the same thing that he offered Peter and these other boys. And yet these boys, these 12 regular dudes, were willing to surrender their lives, their regularity to do extraordinary things in the name of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. These regular boys would have taken over lives. They could go into any sector, any situation, any place, and they could see Jesus take over the situation and the work 
workplace and their kids' rooms. These were the 12 boys. There wasn't anything special about them other than the fact that they made themselves available to be used by God. Amen. So I want to ask you tonight, what kind of church do you see? If there was an anonymous census poll tonight, if someone went to your house and your neighborhood and just kind of racked them up and gave you a list of options, what would that look like? What church would you see? Would you see church as a one-stop religious obligation? Click your ticket in and out. You did your thing. You served in the cafe. You passed out a donut or two. You lifted your hands and you got out. And then the next six days are all to you. Is the church that you see, would it be a church with wide doors? We got a lot of doors in this place. You want to know why we got a lot of doors in this place? Because somebody awesome built it that way. But the reason I say we got a, Lord, a lot of uh, doors in this place is because we leave our doors wide for anybody and everybody. But is the church that you see, is it exclusive? Is it only open to a few select few who are able to act up and act right and pretend right and clean up and look a certain way? Or is the church you see open and available to anybody and everybody? It doesn't matter if they're coming off the streets literally or they're coming in a Rolls Royce. I don't care. Is the church that you see open to anybody? Is the church you see a weak church? Do you see a weak church? A church that just comes in on Sundays and that's where the church ends? A church that doesn't have an opinion on what's going on in the world? A church that should just keep our Jesus mumbo jumbo to ourselves? Is that a church that you see? Or do you see a church that wants to be involved in the conversations of this world? Because there's a lot of dialogues going on and there's a lot of questions but not many people have a lot of answers. But guess what? When Jesus asks a question, because we're going to look at it in a second, Jesus asks a question. He says, who do they say that I am? Who do you say that I is? Whenever Jesus asks a question, the answer is always him. And so we're going to take a look at the church that I see, that Jesus sees. And so here's Jesus, and we go down the list of 12 disciples, right? You got Doubting Thomas. I don't know where your background in church is, but have you ever heard of Doubting Thomas? He sounds like a drag. <laughs> Gonna be honest. You got the name DT, Doubting Thomas. I don't want to hang out with you at all. All you do is question everything. You ever met one of those people that questions everything? It's like, why can't you just accept that God is good? Why can't you just accept what he says about you? Why can't you just accept that you got a flat tire and it's not the devil? Like, <laughs> like it's okay. It happens. You know what I'm saying? You got Doubting Thomas, right? And then you got John. John cracks me up. John is the self-proclaimed Jesus' favorite disciple. In the book of John, he's the, the only one that says it, and it's all recorded. Somebody else says it too, or doesn't say it about him, but mentions him later on. And John goes, and then there's John, Jesus' favorite, the one he loved. And it's like, that's good about MLT. I think it's just Jesus, uh, or it's John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is the actual literal translation. But it's like, seriously, John? Come on, man. Come on. You might have been boys. You might have known him for a little bit longer, but you ain't his favorite. He didn't say he's going to build a church on John. Come on. And then you got, then I love this one. This is Matthew. Matthew's whom I'm named after, even though my parents couldn't spell it right. I have one T in my name, and my mother's not here this week, thankfully. But uh, if you ever ask me the story of my birth, it's quite crazy and quite insane. And I understand why she did not know how to spell at that moment. But, needless to say, here's Matthew 
Who's a tax collector? And if you don't know about tax collectors back in the Bible day, it's not somebody that you just paid 6% to. No, a tax collector was the equivalent to a mobster or a gangster. Uh, and in fact, Matthew, kind of like Zacchaeus later on in the scriptures, probably had a bunch of boys that worked for him, that had a bunch of boys that worked for them, and they went house to house breaking fingers and kicking in kneecaps uh, just to get not only what's owed to Caesar at the time, but to skim a little bit off the top. And not really, little bit doesn't really do it justice because it was, it was enough for Caesar and Matthew and then everybody else underneath him because everybody else had to get paid for what they were doing. And then you get to Peter, who we're going to talk about tonight, the rock that Jesus built his church on. Peter's a wild man. Peter's a hooligan. Peter used to be called Simon. We're going to talk about that in a minute, too. Peter is the artist formerly known as Fisherman. He is also, a.k.a. DJ Drop My Net and Follow Jesus. And he's also the guy who, yeah, some of you just got that. That's funny. <laughs> DJ Drop My Net. Anyways, so can we just call him that from now on, the life of takeover? <laughs> he's also the only, the only disciple to take up physical acts of violence, such as cutting off the ear of a guard for Jesus' honor. Not that Jesus asked him to do it, because he's wild. So here's this, here is this, this hothead fisherman, DJ dropped my nets, here he is, and, oh, and also, not to forget, he's also the guy that would go on to deny Jesus three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. Hey, do you know Jesus? Nah, I never talked to that guy. Hey, you know Jesus? Nah, I don't know who that is. I saw you with Jesus, yeah, it was an accident. Like, I just happened to be there and the Lord was there. I mean, the guy was there. I don't know that he's the Lord. Uh, and yeah, so here's Peter, who God says he's going to build his church on. Just some things to, to kind of let you know a little bit more about Peter. And yet, Peter asks him. He goes, Peter, who do they say that I am? And Peter rattles off a few things and he says, well, some that say that you're John the Baptist. And Jesus was like, that dude baptized me. That's impossible. Some say you're Jeremiah. And he's like, yeah, Jeremiah is cool, but that ain't me. Some say you're Elijah, though. Well, yeah, Elijah walked pretty close with God, so much so that he just beamed up one day. But boys, let me tell you what I'm going to do if they're impressed with what Elijah did. What I'm going to do, that doesn't even hold a candle to. I'm going to blow their minds, right? And so then he looks at Peter and, he, you know, completely, I think a lot of times we get this confused. We, uh, we, we, we admit that Jesus is, is God born of, of, of a virgin woman named Mary. We understand that, uh, how that all went down. We understand these things. But I think that oftentimes we don't uh, take also into consideration that Jesus Christ, while being fully man, was also fully God. Jesus knew Peter. 100%. Jesus knew Peter just like he knew those three boys later on in Luke 11 would tell him, take a hike, man. We ain't about it. My dad just died. My mom said no, and I just don't, I don't want to follow you. Like, Jesus knows. He's God, right? And so here's Jesus knowing Peter 100%, knowing what he's done up until this moment, knowing the boat and the location that he pulled him off of, having absolute just struggle bus of trying to catch some fish that day. Here's Jesus, and he looks at Peter knowing what he's going to do, knowing where he's been, because if this is the recorded text of how like hot-headed he is, you best believe Peter has done some other things in his life, if you know what I'm saying. And he looks at Peter, and he goes, but who do you say that I am? Simon. Who do you say that I am? We've been boys for a moment. We've been hanging out. We've been feeding people. We've been healing people. You've experienced me. You've walked this thing out. Who do you, Peter, say that I am? And Peter, 
for all of his mistakes, for all of his history, for all of his mishaps, for all of his sin. Peter looks at him with full conviction, completely persuaded. There is no doubt in his mind, no quiver in his voice. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the living Son of God. And I think there's something to that. I want to break this down because if you look at it, here it is. Peter, who would go on to do these things. And don't get me wrong. Peter, ultimately, after he denied Jesus, cut some guard's ear off, took a sword right upside his head. It's true. Jesus had to clean that mess up too. I love that Jesus cleans up our messes. Amen. But here he is and... And man, he would go on to do these things. He'd also be the guy to be audaci- uh, have enough audacity to jump out the boat when Jesus was walking on the water. And, and Peter would have that audacity. He would be there for a moment. And he's also the guy who's perhaps faith weakened in that moment when he realized what was going on around him and began to sink. Here's Peter. For all of these things that might be held against him in the world's eyes, here's Jesus who has spent time with him. And here's Peter who has spent time with Jesus. And he knows Jesus. He doesn't just know of Jesus. He knows Jesus. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, here Peter professes, despite all of his inadequacies, all of his averageness, all of the things going on in his life of mediocrity and mistakes leading up to it, here is Peter and he says... You are the living Son of God. You are the prophesied Messiah. You are the one to reconcile this world. And I think that points to us that the church, first and foremost, that we need to see and that we need to be is a church for the journey. How many of you know they were going together for a moment? They were hanging out for a moment? They did life together? If he knew Jesus that much, best believe Jesus knew Peter even the more. And that was a journey. We are going to be a church for the journey. It doesn't matter where people have been. It doesn't matter their mistakes. It doesn't matter their history. I don't need to have a counseling session with you to join this church. We have no membership. We just have family. Because we are a church for the journey because Jesus is the God of the journey and he knew Peter. He knew his mistakes. He knew what he was and he also knew what he could be and we see people not as they are when they come into our doors or when we meet them out in the streets. We see them as they can be in Jesus. Amen. We're going to be a church for the journey, church. Is that all right with you? Is that good with you? Can we come alongside people of every background, color, and creed and love them right where they are to where Jesus wants them to be? Can we be a church for the journey? We're a church for the journey, man. I love it. One of the things we kind of say here at church, and we're not a church that's concerned with behavior. I'm going to be honest with you. Behavior matters. We talked about it a little bit last week, talking about the journey still. Behavior matters. It does. Because in a lot of ways, our behavior, the way we talk, what we say, what we don't say, our actions, our inactions, that tells people that we follow Jesus. It does matter. But it does not matter as much as our soul We are going to be a church. We are not going to bat down people because of their behavior. We are going to run after people with all everything we have in us. We are going to pursue them like our lives depend on it for the value of their soul. Their behavior matters absolutely, but it pales in comparison to the value of their soul. Jesus didn't necessarily die for our behavior. He died for our souls.
And when our souls are reconciled back to him and we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, then we can see people's lives change. Then we can see behavior modification take place. But if Jesus only, if Jesus only interest in this earth was behavior modification, he would have had a book out. It would have been in every Barnes and Noble. It would have been on The View at 10 a.m. in the morning and he would be doing press tours right now. But he isn't. His, his goal on this earth was for you and me to be the church and to go to people right where they are and love them for the journey to say this, that our doors are always open to you, that we have a table here and there is always a place setting for you, and that here we do not have membership again. We are a family and you are always a part of it. I don't care how far you run in the other direction. Once we have something with you here, we are going to pursue you because we are a family. Amen. Amen. Let's move on to that second part is this. In verse 17, I want to take a look at this 17 through 18. You guys ready? Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, John, uh, son of John, because my father in heaven was revealed, has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, again, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. So again, we have Peter, whose real name was Simon. And Jesus, in this moment, he brings up who he was. You were Simon, and the Old Testament, or not the Old Testament, the, uh, an older translation is stuck in my head, Simon Bar-Jonah, uh, which is just him being the son of John in the old king's writing. But here's Simon, son of John, who he brings up, John, and I have to believe it's because he wants to remind Simon who he was in this moment, what brought you to this moment. He says it here, it was not man or flesh or blood that revealed this to you, it was experiencing me with the Father. Here you have, you have got this revelation not because you were taught it, you got it from God. It's not because of whose sons you are. Because I, I think Jesus often brings up our past this is simply not to shame us but to remind us of how far we've come. There is no shame in Christ. There is no shame. It, there's, Jesus has defeated hell, shame, guilt, death, and the grave for us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So people who read this, they want to they say that Jesus was, was uh, smiting him for who he used to be. You're just a son of John. But now, no, no, he's saying, Peter, you were Simon, you were the son of John, but now, because what my father has revealed to you, now that he has revealed you to you who I am, I can build on you, Peter. You are no longer Simon. You are no longer the son of John. You are the rock. How many of you are glad tonight that when Jesus calls us, he doesn't call the old us, he calls us to who we could be? He doesn't call us right where we are. He wants us right where we are so he can get to work in our lives. But how many of you know he has far greater things for you than is ever behind you? Amen. And I love this too because here it is. He says, I'll build my rock on this church. Or I'll build my church on this rock, sorry. And the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. When we live a life fully awakened to Jesus, John 10.10 is a staple here at Takeover Church. John 10.10, God, or Jesus has not come so that, uh, Jesus has come so we can have life and life to the full while the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus, again, his goal wasn't just to get us into heaven by the skin of our hair on our chinny chin chin. No, Jesus' ultimate goal is so that we can have life here now to the full so that we sang it tonight. We can have heaven on earth, heaven in our lives, heaven through our lives. That is the ultimate goal. Do you believe that tonight? Yeah. This is what it is. And man, 
where there is something about a life that has been with Jesus. It goes on to say later on in the book of Acts that when these boys, because Jesus has passed on at this point, gone back up to heaven and the local church has started and, and it says that these were some regular boys, but they could tell, some regular uneducated boys, but they could tell that they've been with Jesus. And I love it right here because here it is. If you have a life fully taken over by Jesus, you have made him Lord of all of your life. This doesn't mean that we're perfect. This doesn't even mean that we're striving for perfection. We're just trying to follow Jesus. We are going to spend the rest of our lives being perfected by Jesus. We are not going to try and pretend to be perfect and have it all together. God can only work with where we're at, not with who we're trying to be. Amen. We have a mask off in the church. You can come in with your pressed khakis and things all you want on Sunday. I'm fine with that. But if that's not who you really are, our God only operates and works with who we really are. And there ain't no point in pretending because he knows every single one of us as we sit, as we stand, as we worship, just as we are. Amen. Amen. And I love it too because here it is. Here's Jesus. And he looks at Peter, again, knowing everything that he will do. And he says, you are Peter. You are the rock. You are the church. And guess what? The church that Jesus sees is unconquerable. All of hell will rage against you. The second, the, the, you want safety in life? Don't be a Christian. It's true. The second you link up with Jesus, you give your life over to him. One, the battle's already won, so you've already got the war is over. But don't, don't mistake it, friends. There is all of hell who has said, he has proclaimed that the devil is going to come after you because he doesn't come after people that aren't active. He doesn't come for sleepers that are dormant. He comes for alive people. But guess what? Alive people already have the victory. The church that I see is unconquerable. The church that I see is Peter's and, and all of these other disciples. And I see a generation of grand rapid civilians here and now that are going to live lives that when all of hell rages war on you when the devil tries to come at you when disease enters your home when sickness knocks down your door when he comes out when he comes knocking with whatever he has financial improvision whatever you come across Jesus says that you are unconquerable that the gates of hell cannot stand not just against this church but the church I see a church that is unconquerable. Do you believe that tonight, church? I see a church that is unconquerable. I see a church that is battle-ready. Do you want to be battle-ready tonight, church? I see a church that is battle-ready because the only battle we lose in this life is the battle that we don't go into with Jesus. I see a church that is unconquerable. And the next thing I want to talk about is the fact that I see a church that is empowered. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that you are empowered? I don't see a lot, I don't hear a lot of convincing, so I'm going to read you some scripture that's going to prove it to you. All right, verse 19, here we go. And uh, worship team, in about a moment, I'm going to have you uh, start getting up here. But you're good for a moment, I'll tell you when. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. The church that I see is empowered. Somebody say, I got the keys. I'm not convinced. Say it like you believe it. Say, I got the keys. Say it like you believe it, Takeover Church. You have the keys. We talked about it last week. Just like when you start following Jesus, you don't do the light of the world. You are the light of the world, right? And guess what? This isn't like your workplace where you have to work up to being a key holder. In the family of God, in the kingdom of heaven, if you are a Jesus follower, whether you recognize it or not, you've already got the keys. It doesn't matter. You don't have to work your way up. You don't have to try harder. You just have to be a Jesus follower, following after Jesus with everything that you've got. You may slip, you may fall, but you have got the keys. The keys to what? 
the keys to the kingdom to have kingdom here and now. Again, not some far off day. There is, you're already in heaven. What keys do you need when you're there? All the promises of God are just as open and available to you now as it is then. You do not need keys when you're in heaven. It is free reign up there because God is good. There is no sin and it's just one big party of loving Jesus and being one with our Father. Amen. But here, you have the power, you have the keys to loose heaven in every situation that you come across, that you enter into, every threshold that your feet walk past. You have the power of heaven going with you. Amen. The church that I see is empowered. We do not have a weak church because we do not have a weak God. We do not have a little church because we do not have a little God. We have got keys. But what good are keys if you don't believe that you have them? God has already given it to you, every single one of us. Well, I don't, I don't feel like I got the keys. I ain't never seen no miracles. I ain't never, I ain't never uh, seen none of this or whatever. I'm going to ask you, when was the last time you laid hands on somebody that was sick? We're walking like we ain't got the keys, but when's the last time you tried starting the car? We're acting like we don't have any keys. I don't have any power inside me to do these things. When's the last time you pressed into God to ask for it? Did you give up because the car didn't start on the first go? We're empowered. We have the keys. There is no situation, circumstance, inf uh, infirmary that we can come across that can stand up to the keys that God has already given us. Oh man, I just didn't see it. I didn't see it. I, I tried laying hands on my neighbor and, you know, I went down the street and there was this guy and he was asking for money and I said, yeah, I'll give you some money, but, but can I pray with you real quick? And I didn't see significant life change and I didn't see him repent there and I didn't, re I didn't see necessarily a bone reset. You know, what, you know what I've learned, church, so oftentimes in this life? There are tons, and I mean tons, when you press in and you exercise those keys that you have, that you will see immediate results. There's a reason that we pray here. I don't care if you have one leg shorter than the other. Come up, we're going to pray about it. I don't care if you have a broken leg and you fell down in worship. We're going to pray about it. I don't care what anxiety or mental illness or whatever the devil has taught you inside your head that you have going on. We're going to pray about it. There are so many things that we will see when we pray and when we lay hands, because that's what the Bible says to do. But often, and it's not a cop-out, there's a lot of things that we won't be around to see because it's a seed. God's called us to be responsible for our seed. We are not responsible for the harvest. The harvest is God's. Jesus said to lay hands on the sick and to cast out demons. He said to pray and believe. He said that he is able to do exceedingly above. Again, Ephesians 3.20, it's a big one for us. He can do exceedingly above all that we can ask or imagine. We have the keys. Don't get discouraged. We don't see something immediate. You will see something immediate. You will walk in that power. You have as much power as you will ever have already. Your power that you have, these keys that you have to loose heaven in and through your situation isn't based upon your performance, church. That might be a newsflash for some of you. The keys to the keys to the kingdom of God is not based upon your performance, but it's based upon your position. What is your position? Distinctly following Jesus. The Bible says that we are dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Are you alive tonight, church? I feel like some of us have fallen asleep in the 5 p.m. Are we alive tonight, church? Do you feel empowered, church? We're a loud church. I'm a talk-back-to-me kind of preacher. I just need you to yell at me sometimes to make sure that I know not only what I'm saying is good, but that you're awake and alive, and we don't got to pray for nobody when they fall out a window. Bible joke. Read it. Six of us got it. There was actually a dude preaching. Somebody fell asleep straight, fell back dead. We had to bring him back. It was awesome. Anyways.
I'm not above it. Again, we're a praying church. We got the keys. Somebody say, I got the keys. keys. Worship team, you can start making your way back up here as we begin to close tonight. But I got to tell you, church, the church I see is for the journey. The church I see is equipped. The church I see is empowered. The church I see is unconquerable. The church that I see is a church that Jesus paid for. He went through hell, sin, death, and the grave. There is no man on earth or devil in hell that can stop you, church. I don't care what comes across your doorsteps. I don't care what is delivered to your home. I don't care what knock from the enemy may come. There is nothing that he can do. You might experience something, but it is for a season. You have got the power. You have got the keys. And I don't think we say this enough in church, but God has already equipped you as much as he ever was, whoever will. He's already as pleased with you as he will ever be because his pleasure in you, again, isn't based off your performance. It's based off your position. And he has called you a son. And he has called you a daughter and he wants you just as much now as he ever has. He has empowered you just as much now as he ever has and he has a future for you as much as he ever has. There is nothing on this earth. There is nothing in hell below. There is nothing that can stand against the mighty name of Jesus and we are dead to that sin but we are alive in the name of Jesus and no gates, no hell, no nothing can stop a Christian. Nothing can stop a Jesus follower and nothing can stop take over church because we exist to see Jesus take over our lives. We're going to be a church that's for the journey. Because it's been a journey. Can you guys just stand up for a second? We're going to go back into one more worship song, but could you just stand up? Where's our people who have been on a journey? I'm not asking if you need to recommit your lives or any of that right now, but if you've been on a journey, can you just lift your hands? My life's been a journey. There ain't no judgment here. There ain't a perfect person in here, but we got a perfect God and he's here. I've been on the journey. I've been on the journey like you've been on the journey. I've experienced hard times and I've experienced hard things. We exist in a world where there is more confusion, division, hurt, and pain than there has ever been. And I say that because so much more is available to us as great as technology is. It certainly made the world a lot smaller, so we hear about a lot harsher things, a lot more horrible and heinous acts that have taken place. But in the midst of not having clarity, in the midst of these trying times, in the midst of our past and our mistakes, Jesus looks at us and says, look where I've brought you. Look where you are. Look what I've given you. Who you are is what I'm going to use to establish my church, the bride that I'm going to come back for. Who you are is a son and a daughter, the bride of Christ. And this bride, she is a furious bride. She is a powerful bride. She is not weak. She is as strong and as mighty as her God because she is powered by her God, the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to wrap up service in just a moment. But we're going to sing this next song and I got to ask you, do you believe you're in power tonight? Do you believe you have the keys tonight? Do you believe that Jesus is pleased with you as he will ever be tonight?